0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Blue Wire. With the
0: third pick in the 2020 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select LaMelo Ball from Chino Hills, California.
2: Oh. Oh, my goodness. My I'm just already. All right, everyone, welcome to another Buzz Beat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. This is Richie, and I'm joined by Lee and Brian today as we're recording this live on the Green Room app. Thanks to those that have joined here. And if you guys like to comment or request to speak, please feel free to do so here in the app. Uh, that's why we do it on this app, so that you guys can interact with us. Our goal is to get one speaker request, so hopefully we can get one of you guys uh, either now or later in the pod to do that. Before we get into the episode, wanted to thank our newest members of BMC. You can visit buymeacoffee.com slash buzzbeat to learn more about that and how you can donate to get access to some of the... The exclusive content. You can also just visit the BMC site for free content as well. And with a not not a subscription, I guess it's just a donation, is what you want to call it. We do give shout outs to the people. So Reggie Helton, Kevin McChrystal, Dawson Hunt, Kane Rowell, and Hornets Beard Guy on Twitter are our like five latest supporters there. So also we're trying to do like a a BMC exclusive mailbag episode. So if you're a member of Check your emails for that request, Brian Lee. How's everything going? Uh Do you guys enjoy that uh, ugly basketball game that just happened between the uh, Kings and the Hornets?
3: It, enjoy, enjoy <laughs> might be a, a little bit of an overstatement. I mean, I'm I'm always happy to watch summer league basketball, even when it's sloppy and strange. Um, but I I have to admit. In the first half, when I think we would played twenty minutes and had twenty two points, uh, that was a bit of a slog. I can't lie. To you. But...
4: <laughs> yeah, that was not the uh, the cleanest game. I'm with Lee. I'm, I'm up. I'm always here to see the Hornets play, and summer league's still fun. I, I think some of the I think even when it's like a certain kind of ugly, you can kind of lean into it. You know, you're not expecting, uh, you know, uh, like a virtuoso performance from either of the teams, but. Um, that was pretty tough to watch at times, but even then you still have got, um, you know, two lottery picks on the court at the same time. You've got three top 20 picks on the court at the same time. So uh, still worth diving into this game here, uh, even if uh, it at times made us want to sort of divert our eyes from the screen while watching it.
2: If uh, you see me eating popcorn here, guys, this is like my new favorite late night snack here. Uh, you're going to make fun of me, but it's it's skinny girl popcorn, so it's only 160 calories.
4: No, that stuff is so good. But it gets you if you eat, Richie, if you eat like seven servings of it, no, it, I, defeats skin, no. it defeats the defeats the skinny <laughs> purpose of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes, it is it is a light cow snack until you eat like three and a half standard deviations more You know than, than you're supposed uh, to
3: eat. That's how Richie keeps his sinewy frame. Yeah, that's, uh, right. that's, <laughs> that's right.
2: And this is, that's uh, right. this is what's interesting, it's, it's lime flavored. So that's, I didn't Ooh. think that would be good, but it kind of has like a, not a margarita uh, like, feel, but it, it kind of has a yeah. it to it. So. I like what that.
4: I, I think popcorn is like, uh, that's like a pretty like, uh, I feel like there are a few notable basketball names that are really into popcorn. Isn't that a, a Steph Curry Steph Curry, Dell Curry, I believe, are big popcorn guys. Mike Young, the head coach at Virginia Tech, you can find him eating some popcorn on the sideline before every game. So, Richie, you're just fitting right in here.
2: Yeah, so if you guys hear me on this chewing, it's the popcorn. So, before <laughs> before we get into the Summer League, I do want to review the Kelly Oubre signing because, one, we didn't get a chance to do that as it, it kind of came out of nowhere, right? It didn't seem like we were linked to him at all. We did have, what, 13 and some change, uh, to spend. And, and he was a guy that, you know, fit that bill, but you know, it did come out of nowhere and it came immediately following the, the rumors surrounding marketing. So Kelly Oubre signed a two-year contract, $25 million. My immediate reaction to this was from a numbers standpoint, he provides a ton of like wing and forward depth, uh, especially when Gordon Hayward, Uh, inevitably goes down. Like, I feel like that is going to happen this year. Uh, Knock on wood, maybe it won't. But as a player, he's going to put pressure on the rim as a cutter. He's going to get some points through the post-ups. He's going to get out in transition, which seems to be a theme with a lot of the acquisitions that the Hornets have done this year. And then defensively, he's going to be, I don't know, above average to good. I mean, he's a guy that can be used on primary guards and and as a point-of-attack defender that Charlotte definitely needs. And then an added bonus, I'm sure you guys saw this, but the contract details, did you guys see that second year, only $5 million yeah, of it was yeah. partially guaranteed? It's
4: like, 40, like 40% of the contract is only guaranteed for the second year. It's, it's a really tradable deal if, they, if, it, if it came down to it, which is something we can we can touch on a little bit too. Yeah,
2: I mean, he's, he's not a guy that I was necessarily pegging for Charlotte when free agency started, and he's not a guy that I thought would come here, but... I think the system fit is really good for Oubre and he could, um, you know, his strengths could be highlighted by playing with Lamella.
4: Yeah, I think uh, a couple of things. I mean, it, it goes to this trend that we talked about last week on the pod, right? Like just one more athletic play finisher, uh, wingy guy that can play a couple of positions uh, because of the versatility of guys like Miles and, and PJ and you know we'll see how much of a role Ty Jones has in Charlotte but even Hayward you can move him around at a few positions just a lot of guys in on the at those hybrid forward hybrid wing spots all of whom you know you could think of as partnering with LaMelo in some way shape or form either guys running the wing in transition guys working as cutters um, guys cutting and scramble situations, guys who could work as screeners and pick and pop and, and slip guys and pick and roll lob guys. So yeah. And Kelly, you by the way, uh, for whatever it's worth is that I actually had a couple of really good games against the Hornets the last two seasons with both Phoenix and golden state. Um, maybe that's a coincidence. Perhaps that's not. Richie, you mentioned an important part of the contract. I mean, I think Spencer said it this way on Twitter, but just like the market sort of shriveled up for Oubre a little bit. The Hornets were the last team or one of the last teams with space. And they were able to leverage that into getting only $5 million of that that second year salary guaranteed. So even if this goes horribly wrong, Right. Like even even if this thing goes horribly wrong, that is that's a that's a really easy contract to move. It's a it's a good number. It's not long term. That second year, only five million is guaranteed. I mean, you could see that being a, you could see Ubrey potentially being moved at this trade deadline. Again, if it didn't work out or next offseason or before the next trade deadline, like they just now have a couple like sort of like medium salaries with Rozier and Ubre that are very tradable and, and really don't have much guaranteed money left beyond the end of this season. So I kind of, I kind of think that would be a little interesting. Like if you ended up flipping Oubre down the road, well, then you, you harvested your cap space into like more assets or whatever, which is, which is something that w- would be, you know, a relatively, uh, you know, heady move on, on the front office's part. The one thought I do have about the fit, because we, we sort of touched on the things that we like about the fit You know, it would have been, they're just, I I do wonder if they've, like, overdone it a little bit in terms of play finishers, athletes, track stars on the break. Um, You know, by the way, all of these guys can, like, handle and play, make, and shoot a little bit, too. They're they're not clearly, like, one-dimensional. But just, it would be nice to have, uh, you know, more of the guys that are sort of the ball mover, some ball mover types, some really, like, you know, big-time spot-up shooters, so, you know, guys like, Malik Monk, Devontae Graham, you know, I do think you miss the collective sort of like uh, offensive half court understanding of some of those guys. And I think Devontae is a, is a uh, Malik is a very clever player, but I just think Devontae sort of like has a really good grip of where all their nine guys are on the court at the same time in relation to the ball. And so, I don't know, it, there it's there are pros and like there's some good, there's definitely some some positives to the move. But uh, you know, I wasn't like head over heels with it, and I could see the I could. There's some scenarios where the fit like really doesn't go great, but it's pretty low risk. Like you know, you can just move this contract or or move on somehow. From from a
3: fit standpoint, I think I think I'm I'm pretty much in agreement with BG there. I mean, Ubre did not shoot the ball particularly well last year in Golden State. I I think he's capable of shooting it better than he did. I think like mid 30s is is a realistic um hope I don't know I don't know I think I think like high 20s is also possible like there's kind of a variance of range there for Ubre and shooting he does fly around I mean he he'll he'll fly in there and grab an offensive rebound he's like a decent off ball mover I like your thought Richie about kind of like some some wing depth insurance behind Hayward who you know was like a fringe all star guy last year but you know the the injury bug reared its head again towards the end of the year you know, uh, great points on the contract. I won't rehash that. If you kind of just – I mean, I don't think this Ubre move is like a, a seismic needle mover by any means, but I do think now when you kind of take a step back and you're like DG, Monk, Zeller, Biombo out, Ubre Jones, Plumley Smith, Booknight in, like that mixed with player development – it's possible the Hornets got a little better on the margins, and, and, and they definitely got bigger and more athletic. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, it's, it's certainly interesting. It certainly continues to play into the kind of the transition up-tempo narrative that we spoke about last episode. So, all in all, because of all the reasons y'all just broke down, um, I do like the move. But to reiterate the, my last point and BG's last point, and something we talked about last episode, the playmaking load on LaMelo is still massive here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, 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 again, he's fully capable, but it's going to be 82 games this year for LaMelo instead of 72. Obviously, he had an injury late in the season as well. So, like, there, there's just a lot on his shoulders um, from a creation standpoint, and it's going to be interesting to see, like, just how ready he is for, for all of that.
2: Yeah. And to to Brian's point about like, are we overdoing acquiring these players that are just like rim pressure cutters? Like you also need the players that can get them the ball in those situations, because, you know, as we see tonight, obviously summer league is a completely different thing, but the penetration was lacking and uh, you need players on the ball that can break down a defense allowing those other defenders to kind of collapse and close in. And then you have Kai Jones, you know, Miles Bridges, and Kelly Oubre cutting back door to get those open looks. We do have a question here. Is Oubre already the team's best perimeter defender? That's from Owen Watterson. I would...
4: Would lean. I would I would I would lean Jalen McDaniels. Yeah, Jalen, Jalen
2: McDaniels is I, good.
4: I, I would lean I would lean Jalen, but um but Oubre helps there. Yeah, he yeah. does. So point I mean it are they don't really have any stoppers yeah. on the perimeter. I think I think so but I... Yeah.
2: Cody, Jalen, and Ubre are probably the three that you would kind of, you know, couple together. I don't know if there's another one out there yeah. right that you would consider with that bunch. And the funny thing is Cody Martin and Jalen McDaniels are both on non-guaranteed contracts, which uh, is a topic of discussion for later
0: on here. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
2: are 0-2, so if you expected them to make the Summer League Championship, that is pretty much out the window. Uh, They will get five games. They'll get two more games, plus they'll get a fifth game, which, like I said, won't be the championship game. So we're just going to, you know, not break down the game, you know, by quarters or anything like that, but let's just look at this through the first two games. Who has stood out? Who's been impressing? Who's not been impressing? I think it probably makes sense to start with the rookies and then go from there. Uh, there's a lot of comments here in green room about Riller and all that type of stuff, which we'll get to. I think the first person that I would like to start with is book Knight. Good job of stringing together multiple dribble moves, uh, getting his opponents on the heels. Uh, some of these not only led to shots for him, but also led to shots for others. Uh, his hang time, his athleticism is on display I think, Lee, you might have mentioned this either in a Slack channel or like a, a text, but you said that you were just a little bit worried about maybe him over-dribbling, which I would agree with. I would I would agree that that's not a habit that you would like to develop. Uh, but two things I would want to consider here – Number one, it's nice to know that he is a guy that can go get his own bucket. I think that's something that Hornets don't really have on this roster. Malik Monk showed that ability. Obviously, he's with the Lakers now. So I think that's one thing to consider. And then number two, we have to consider who he's playing with when he does play with the actual Charlotte Hornets, where there is more spacing, more ability around him. I think it wouldn't be something that you would give Book Knight the ball so often to just go pound the rock and just try to go get you a shot. He's the prominent guy here on the roster. But I would agree with you, Leah, in terms of him over-dribbling. And we saw that tonight against uh, Mitchell, you know, just being stonewalled and not getting any kind of penetration into the paint, uh, especially early on in this game. It, it was tough to watch, but... Um, yeah, Booknight has been impressive to me. Uh, I think his dribble moves have been something that uh, we've all noticed from his UConn days, but he's also turning this into playmaking as well.
3: Yeah, so the the, the context that you talked about in that, Richie, I think is super important. Like, Booknight's got to be – he's got to kind of be thinking, like, what do I have to do to get, like, a secondary guy that can playmake a little bit because he didn't have that at UConn last year – And he certainly hasn't had it early um, in this summer league performance as well. So look, the spacing's horrible. Obviously the other team can completely kind of key on book night. He he's, he's looking at like a wall of help most of the time, even when he is able to create a little bit. So I think all of that context is super fair. Um, But, but, but I am seeing some of the concerns I have show up a little bit. Like he is kind of a pounded-out guy, three to four to five dribbles to, to look to create. And again, like, I don't think he's going to be asked to do that in, on the varsity team, if you want to put it that way, in the, re- in the regular season. And, and then the question is going to become, can he become like a creative and cerebral off-ball cutter? Can he make open jump shots? He 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 does shoot a little bit of a flat ball. Um, I, I don't think it's anything that's unworkable or unfixable by any means. His mechanics are not broken. It's just a little bit of a flat shot, and particularly when he likes to get to the step back, like your momentum's already going the opposite way, and and shooting a flat ball in that situation is just just not super um, efficient, I guess. So the the one a couple things I'll say though, like. In both of the second halves, he's been better than the first half, which gives me a little bit of encouragement on, like, kind of his, like, inner mindset of, of, of figuring thing out, things out against opposing defenses and adjusting in second halves as a young player and trying to figure some things out. Like, you saw late in the game, he had that awesome combo move against, against Mitchell finally to get free. You know, the hang, absorb, contact finish, that was awesome. He's fantastic in transition. Um, the half court creation is a bit of a slog for him right now. But when he's out in the open floor, he's got the in and out moves. He's got the crossovers. He's got the burst. He's also got a really nice kind of pause, hesitation, dribble, and blow by. He's used that multiple times to free himself up. Uh, I I hope like the jumper is going to have to be respect, respectable for that move to keep working, but it's been awesome so far. So you know, I'm I'm kind of still like cautiously optimistic here. I think the context with the, in the regular season is going to be much more favorable for him. But I'm still, but I'm still a little bit wary of just kind of his pounded out um, creation right now, and, and and that's where I see
4: Yeah, yeah. You guys mentioned a, a bunch of good points. Um, his athleticism is so like uh, sudden. It's just it's sort of dormant, and then all of a sudden it it pops. It snaps. You saw that at UConn. And I think you're seeing it with some of these sort of these hesitation, these in and outs, these, these like weave combo crossover moves that he's put together where left, right, mole the guy to sleep, and all of a sudden, boom, he's trying to get around him. Um, you know, with all of these guys, and, and I don't even think Book Booknight is necessarily, like at least at this point, we're even projecting him out to be like, a, you know, a, a guy that's really going to handle the ball like a ton, at least early on. Um, But you do want to see these guys, like, touch the paint. And I I think we've seen enough of that where I'm not like, wow, he really can't, like, turn the corner, can't get by anybody. Obviously, Mitchell beat him up badly for, like, 95% of this game. uh, Davion Mitchell was a a fire hydrant at the point of attack. And Booknight had, as Richie said earlier, a couple, like, sort of tough-looking possessions where just he couldn't get around. He tried to flail and get up a shot up before the, the clock ended, shot clock ended. In um, a possession that went nowhere, and he really had no chance. Um, look, it's no surprise. Davion Mitchell was is, is destined to look better at the jump than Book Probably, he's two years older. Um, you know, he's he's coming to the NBA ready to roll, and he he looked pretty good. I even thought Mitchell had some nice, nothing too advanced, but I thought he had some nice pick and roll possessions against Charlotte as well. What I would say, and this was mentioned during the broadcast, and you guys have touched on it a little bit here too. Obviously, in the regular season. Just the talent around him is going to be better. You are going to have Lamelo, you are going to have Hayward, you are going to have Rozier and his gravity. Um, you are going to have Miles Bridges, who in PJ Washington, who offer you know shooting gravity, who offer some playmaking, who offer DHO partnership. And by the way, I think that's something. Like quick aside, I think against Sacramento, I think Book Knight missed uh, Vernon Carey Jr., who did not play as a guy in the middle that can give you a little bit of facilitation, can give you some handoff action. And, and I thought VCJ actually played pretty well um, against Portland and had some nice creations, some nice handoff possessions. I think that's something like Booknight could use to get himself freed up. Um, but with all of that, with all of the, yes, you know, his role will look different when the talent's there too, it's important to remember uh, or to note, I should say, that it's summer league. They're running – when I say they're running like the Hornets are running like a base offense right now, I mean, it is like this is the most like stripped down parts only version of James Borrego's system. I mean, they, you know, they're running a little bit of horns with a couple different sets out of that. They're running a couple of. they're really not running all that much else. They've run a couple things to get Book Night backdoor. They've run a couple like, you know, Chicago, bits of Chicago action for Book Night. All that stuff's good. Like, that's the stuff that you want to, like, keep. That's going to be a part of, like, the regular season diet for James Booknight, whether he's playing with the second unit or, you know, when he's, you know, up with the starters, assuming that, you know, he's going to be backing up Rozier at the two most likely. But as I've written about at the Buy Me a Coffee site over the last week with a couple different posts, Charlotte has a lot of stuff. that's at, when, you, when you really, like, peel out and look through the 10,000-foot view of Charlotte's playbook, which is pretty diverse – it has a bunch of good stuff in it to feature off-ball movers, and off-ball shooters, off-ball cutters, all the stuff they've used with Rozier, with Monk, with Graham to an extent. Um, like they're really they're, – they're barely touching that, right? And so I think not only like in the regular season we'll, because you'll have more talented guys around him, more talented passers – Other, you know, usage wings and guards that are going to be taking touches and and putting Bookland into more of a secondary role. But also just, like, you're going to have different kinds of packages. And, and, uh, by the way, uh, I think Dutch Gailey has called some good after-timeout stuff um, over these two games. But for the most part, like, this is a pretty stripped-down offense and I think Book Night is one of those guys that has issues with processing and isn't just sort of like a you know a magnet for the rim with his dribble. Mm-hmm. That you're going to have to scheme some of that stuff up, and that's just like not really available to them at the moment. And it may not be until like we get to preseason or the regular season where we start to see some of those packages and some of the say how Book going can actually fit into Charlotte's base offense and sort of what they can build up off of that.
2: To kind of both of your points about Vernon Carey Jr., and you were talking, Lee, about the playmaking in transition. My favorite play from Book Night actually was in game one. I think it's on my Twitter. It was in transition. He hesitates, he goes between his legs. And he dumps it off to Carey Junior for the bucket. Like that's that's the type of stuff that I did not realize was in his game. I knew that he was athletic, I knew that he had dribble moves, but when you combine that at full speed when he did that, it kind of took me aback a little bit. Do we know why Vernon Carey Junior didn't play tonight? Was it scheduled?
4: Maybe, because I saw they announced, like, Hornets PR announced that Scotty Lewis was not playing because of the ankle injury, right? But there was, I don't, unless I missed something, there was nothing on that for Vernon Carey. He was just on the bench in street clothes, right? So, right. I think There was process- some...
3: Sorry. I was just no. going to say, there was some Twitter speculation, nothing but speculation, that maybe they were kind of, like, switching off Richards and Carey Jr. Would, but would, who knows? Who knows?
4: That, that would make the most sense, honestly. Like, I mean, I, the... The, the the thoughts it could be is like it's a small injury, nothing too serious. There's the like they're trying to get you know, they're switching off between he and Richards. Thor, JT Thor was playing tonight, so maybe you loosen up a few more front court minutes because of that. They played Thor and Kai Jones together at like the four and five combo, which we can we can talk about if we if we want to. It was not all that pretty, but still kinda cool to see. And then, uh, oh crap! I had one other thought about uh, about Carrie. but but yeah, just basically like the the one thought I did once I saw because he was on the bench, right? Like, didn't we see him I on think the bench? I heard that, yeah, yeah. So the, the the scary thought I had for a second was like, oh, is this like possibly COVID related, right? Like, I hate that my head went to that, but um, but then when I saw him on the bench, you're like, oh no, that's not yeah. clearly this is scheduled, or he has like a, a minor injury, you know. And so if that's the case, that's fine.
2: Yeah, I think Dutch did mention uh, before game one that he had planned on, or maybe it was after game one, I can't remember, that he planned on doing some of this stuff where they would alternate players or give players a break and just give them like a full game go. Um, and I think the the competition between Kerry Jr. and Nick Richards is going to be an interesting one. Uh, let's go to Kai Jones, the most exciting player on this Hornets roster uh, when you watch him play. And if anyone in Green Room would like to speak about Kai Jones or Night. We would love a request. Athleticism, full display. Beating closeouts, full display. You know, in transition, it looks like sometimes he's going to barrel over someone, but somehow he is able to pull up and and not get that charge. Uh, You know, we saw in game one that crazy dunk that he had. Uh, you can see why the Hornets drafted this guy, right? He fits within the system that we were just talking about, about pushing the pace. And it's going to be fun to actually watch him play with Melo, which he is not having the chance to do right now. He only gets to play with Leangelo, So just just a different ball, but not, not the one that we were hoping for. But a, kind of an underrated aspect of his game that I'm starting to pick up on is his offensive rebounding, right? Like, like one, obviously he's he's athletic, so he can get off the floor pretty quickly. But his arms, his length, he can just snag it out of nowhere. And he has the aggressiveness – to go back up now may maybe it might get him into some trouble sometimes where he's just trying to get a bucket we saw that in game one a lot where he would just put his head down and just try to you know nuzzle his way through his defenders and try to go up for a dump or whatever
4: he's just pivoting like on a 360 on the court just like please someone let me get up so I get a get a crack at this here at the rim here
2: and and sometimes I felt like the 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 refs were not calling three seconds because I felt like he was in there for three seconds before he would actually get up off the floor but that that is something that that's going to be obviously a big benefit to him because he's a guy that is going to be learning a lot on both ends of the court. But if you can do the scrappy plays like offensive rebounding and just getting up off the floor with his athleticism, that's going to go a long way to keeping himself on the court. Uh, Lee, you've been very impressed with Kai Jones. Give me give me your thoughts on him through two games.
3: Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's two games of summer league, but I have come away from these from these two games more optimistic about Kai Jones actually potentially contributing in the rotation than I think I was after draft night, even though I'd been super high on Kai Jones throughout the draft process. It was just like always a very developmental pick for me. And and that's still the case, but I think this kind of baseline floor that I was like pontificating about a little bit in the pre-draft process where Kai Jones was kind of labeled as this like massive high risk, high reward pick. And that's true to a degree. But I think because of the points you just made, Richie, like the offensive rebounding, the rim protection, the defensive versatility, like, and and then like just his energy and like, honestly, just like his, his just like give a damnness, you know, like he, he truly like gives max effort out there. You can, it is. I just made it up, but it's a word now. Um, (laughs) And, uh, uh, so, so I guess the point I'm trying to make here is, like, the qualities he's showing in Summer League already is why I felt like there was a fairly reasonable floor for him as a rotation NBA player as he develops. And, like, the offensive rebounding has just been ridiculous. You you said it, Richie. Like, he just kind of appears out of nowhere and just snares these balls out of the air Yes, he needs to look to kick it out a little bit more when he grabs those. But he's also had a couple really nice like offensive rebound quick bump dunk finish too. The 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 the, the, the off the dribble close out attack stuff has been super impressive. That was always that was always the gravy on top. That was always the offensive flashes, the pull-up yep. jumpers, yep. the jab step pull-up like that was always the stuff that's tantalizing, but may or may not come. I think it's a little ahead of schedule. Um, again, with the context of, like, it's, it's obviously we're, we're, we're pontificating on two summer league games here. I, I've been super impressed with Kai Jones. I also think, and last little point here is, like, the lateral defensive movement has been pretty good. Um, There's still going to be nights where he's going to look completely lost. That's going to – you just – we have to be patient and expect that. Obviously, tonight he was one for five from the field. Um, but he did have four assists. I think the interior passing, the the transition handle, the off-the-dribble closeout attack, and some of the, like, just hop-step control stuff has been a bit better than I anticipated. So
4: that's kind of where I'm at. I love Kaijo. Yeah, we talked about him pre-draft as this guy who's like a like a 6'10", 6'11 wing, right? Like how he moves laterally. And um, I actually thought... Cause like, cause like his issues defensively really come with rotations and, and help responsibilities and that sort of stuff. But I, I thought tonight, you know, Charlotte switched a lot on ball screens. Um, that you know, that was a nightmare for Nick Richards when he got matched up with Davion Mitchell. I, I thought for the most part, Kai Jones, I um, maybe you know, two probably two possessions did an okay job staying in front of Davion and and uh, and, and contesting some pull up twos. So. Um, I thought that was pretty good. And then, by the way, on the flip side, on one of them, I thought he did a nice job after the miss. Having that switch and just through his effort and his motor, getting down court, having the cross match and transition, I think that's the like that post-up is the one that Mitchell got hurt on too. Um, if, I have, if I have that actually correct, but also earlier in the game too – he had a, a mismatch on Mitchell in the post that allowed him to snag an offensive rebound and go back up quickly for the dunk. That was pretty nice. Um, his the catch radius is great. The second jump is good. Well, you guys have touched on this already, but I just think his like nose for the ball is is just better than I than I thought it was going to be. I like what he does, and he's sort of like when these sort of like scrambled chaos situations. Um, Mello is obviously very very good in those in those scenarios. I actually think Miles Bridges is as well but uh, as like a finisher but LaMelo really is like a passer and like a you know, grab the loose ball and immediately get it from A to B for a guy to finish it. And I think you know, Kai Jones could could just run his way um, into some cheap, some cheap points this year by just sort of like being kind of like knowing where to go and reading LaMelo in those situations. Assuming, you know, he, he is, you know, some part of the rotation for a period of the season in Charlotte. I'm fascinated to see like what kind of role he'll have. Though The closeout attacking and dropout passes have been awesome. I mean, he's got that weird little like stutter rip or like kind of shot fake. Feels like no one should go for it, but um, they they do, or Michael Beasley certainly went for it multiple times uh, in the Portland game the other night, and he's so smooth at transitioning from that that rip through move or that shot fake, get that swing the ball, get that other get that inside leg through, and then plant and go, And that he plays pretty heads up in those scenarios. The two thing, two other things I would say about Kai real quickly that I will be curious to see, and it, it's probably not going to be this season you know, this is the sort of like offensive upside that Lee was just talking about. That's like further down the road, but you know, can he, can he tighten that handle a little bit and use that? Not just to like avoid turnovers and the back taps and all that stuff, but just like, can he, can he use, can he tighten up that handle a little bit and get into a few more spaces because of it? Because like he can slink around, like he's, he's got the know-how to want to like put it on the deck and transition or, or attack a close out. Like by the way, like, a guy that you don't have to run plays for, for him to, like, perhaps, like, get down and get to the rim. I like that, too. But just can he get into a few more things? Richie, you said he has some of these possessions where it looks like he's just going to bulldo- bulldoze <laughs> in people. You'll see him. He'll try, like, a little, like, d Wade like, Euro step, like, pick the ball up and have that go loop it over the top of the defense or the defender. But if he could just do certain stuff where he could get skinny, get a little bit lower, and get in some more of these gaps – um. Yeah, I just think like a wealth of opportunities for finishing would open up for him because like once he gets to a certain spot, he can just uncoil and use his length to to finish. But it's like you know the, almost that, that ability to separate in the mid post. I thought looked really good against Portland um, when he has guys on his hip or they're level with him. He can really use that stride length to get around them. But if there's a bit of a wall, there's like, you know a defender in front of him plus a help guy that's sort of in lane two. Like it's tough for him to like split those dudes, right? And so just that's that's like that's not even this season. I'm talking about like we're we're looking like a year or two down the just down the road with Kai, but something to keep an eye on with him.
2: And to Lee's point about some of the passing, interior passing, and couple that with the fact that he can beat a closeout. I think it happened more in game 1 and maybe it happened in game 2 as well but he had a se- several times where he was beating a close out and a big man would step up and he would just dump it down to the big right beside him you know going full speed avoiding that charge so sometimes like I say it looks like he's going to run some- someone over but for whatever reason, he is able to stop on a dime and make that pass. Not sure if any of our listeners, uh, you know, know this trio. And Lee, I don't know if you, I don't know if you're too young for this, but do you guys remember the high voltage trio of Baron Davis, Ricky Davis, and Eddie Robinson together for the Hornets in the late '90s? Oh my gosh! Yeah. Do do I? Okay, okay. <laughs> I guess what I'm getting at, I I feel like I'm getting those vibes with this team, and I think Kai Jones just fits right in with that. Him, Miles, LaMelo, you know, those players are going to bring some exciting highlights night in and night out. If there's not wins, at least you're going to get some excitement there. Okay, we have a question here in the discussion on Green Room app. Okay. Let,
4: last thing I want to say about Kai Jones, uh, I want him to watch Pascal Siakam tape. That's 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 the other thought I have now too. I'd like him to watch some Siakam tape. But anyway, let's get to the question from Green Rim now.
2: Yeah, so it's it's a it's a I don't know if it's a serious question, but Ryan asks
4: um, <laughs> over
2: or under five point five games in Greensboro for Kai Jones this
4: year. Five point five. Over, I'll take the over, take the over on that one. Yeah, I'll take the over on five point five.
2: Well, we originally set it at ten point five, and then we were kind of discussing oh, it here yeah. in the green room, and we, yeah. we narrowed it down to five point five. We don't even know how yeah. long a, uh, a G League season is, so, so that, was, <laughs> that was part of the issue. I'll,
4: I'll still take. I'll still take. Uh, I'll take the over on that.
2: Okay, I'll go under to be different, right. different, only because right. maybe he can learn some by by playing short stints here and there and maybe the, maybe the the big league team will want to keep him up. So, I'll just be different and say under.
3: Lee, any thoughts on no? that? Yeah, I think I I think uh I think under 2. I I'm I'm kind of starting to think that maybe Kai Jones, it, you know, maybe he's not an everyday rotation guy right. for this team in his first yeah, year, but I'm right. starting to think I'm starting to think he might be with the with the with the big crew all year potentially. Okay. Not, not to say not to say that some time in Greensboro wouldn't be good for him because I think yeah, would.
4: yeah, I, it does. See, he could also be one of those guys where like, uh, uh, you know, the first six minutes of the game or whatever, or just a slog. You know, it's the second half of a back to back. Everyone's tired. No one's in sync. You know, everyone. no one's getting back on defense. And, you know, brego says bleep this. Kai, you know, get in there and just start, you know, running around doing stuff. Just give us someone with some energy. So, um, I could I could see him being just sort of like a, you know, like a, a bit of a voltage for this team over the course of a, a long season too. But I'll still take, I just think it's going to be, I think it's important for JT Thoris certainly as too. I mean, like, I think he's obviously going to play a lot in Greensboro. And, and I don't think Kyle will be there quite to that extent, but um, but I do think I'll take the over there.
2: All right, we have two more topics to get to, but let's just wrap up with any other thoughts that you have with Summer League. We're not going to break down every individual player here. Uh, the, the, the last thing I'll say before we move on to the next topic is I'm very interested to see the competition between DJ Carton and Grant Riller. Currently speaking, I think Carton is is outplaying Riller, and Riller has been on the podcast before, so we are partial to him a little bit, but I did not know that DJ Carton 1 was born in Pineville, North Carolina, which is great, which is basically just a suburb of Charlotte. He's a guy that can obviously get on a poster, can, can can dunk on anyone, really. But what I'm seeing the most from him, he's out there competing. He's trying to impress. Defensively, I think that he's very active on that end. Active hands, moving his feet, this is the type of stuff that you would like to see out of a guy that's competing for a spot. I think he's on an Exhibit 10 right now, so he'll have to work on his outside shot, but I think he's outplaying Grant really right now.
4: Yeah, I mean, really, it's been it's been a tough go for Realer. He was, what, one for nine shooting tonight. Yeah, it was not, not a great couple turnovers, no free throw attempts, no three-point attempts. Um, you know, I mentioned this a second ago, but you know, they're they're running such a, a simplified offense right now. You really need some guys that can just spread it out, pick and roll, right? So, and and, and get north south, and you know, you and ideally you'd kind of like that for that to be, I think, Grant Riller. Um, and he he definitely like is touching the paint some. It's not like he can't turn the corner, but then he gets into the lane, and it's just like the the collective length of of NBA front courts. I think is really bothering him. Um, I mean, he was a really well-rounded, awesome, big-time offensive player at Charleston. But he his bread and butter was – and he could do a little bit of everything. And he played without the ball and he played with the ball, like all this stuff. Um, and, you know, you could run him off screens and stuff too. But his main thing was, like, he got downhill. He got to the rim. He slashed. And, um, yeah, we're just not – we're just not – you know, I just think – the NBA is you know more athletic, longer, and I think it's given him um, a, you know a little bit of trouble here. But I'm bowling for him. I mean, I liked Riller as a prospect. I really did buy him even before he came on the pod. So, but this this summer league has not been inspiring um, too much confidence here.
3: Yeah, my um, uh, my very last uh, summer league thoughts here. Um, I, I thought it was Kolbaka, but, but they were pronouncing it Kilbaka tonight. Kill I think Baca. they were so I think they were wrong. we we'll
4: just they—they we'll they, they, they changed it during the game. Did they not? I thought they like. I thought they started out with one thing, and then at halftime, we were like, "Wait, what? How should we say it?" And I thought they moved to a different name. I think I'm just gonna go either Arnie or AKA. Yeah,
3: I, I think that's the safe. Um, you know, he's four for ten from three. Um, a beautiful mechanical jump shot. Um, you know, some really bad defensive moments. Metu just like completely blew by him a couple times. Yeah, um, he bounced off a few guys defensively, but like I think he's. I think he's a guy who can play in Greensboro and, and and do all right. Like I I've, I've actually been a little pleasantly surprised with him, although he's still got some major, obviously some major holes in his development. Um, and then, you know, I think, I think Nick Richards has been decent. Um, he's dropped a few passes. Um, he had, he had a frustration foul in game one and like didn't run back on defense one time, which I, which I just gets under my skin, but like he's been a good dunker spot finisher and, um, He's 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 certainly blocked some shots and rim protect. He's run the floor. Uh, I, I think he's he's been okay. No, nothing that's right. blown me away, but like solid. Yeah. I I hope we I hope we hold on to him and and continue to kind of develop him a little bit. I'm sure he'll be in Greensboro a ton again this year as
4: well. I, I wish he got off the floor like 10 percent faster. I just like wish he was a little bit quicker with some of that stuff because like the the length and like the body is is there. It's just. I don't know. I feel like he is like he's just slow and moving. And when where he like feels like he should be a little bit more bouncy, I guess. But he did. But you mentioned like he has the ability to get up and block a shot. He had a couple of nice ones tonight against uh, against Sacramento.
2: For a second there, I thought you were talking about get off the floor. Like, hey, you sub out, get off the floor. A bit
4: <laughs> no, okay. no, okay. No. no, no. I'm sure there are some some Hornets fans who were thinking that though yes. too.
2: Okay. Two, last two topics here. The, the the second to last topic here uh, in terms of the final 15-man roster, if you look at the roster right now, it, I think there are 16 players with NBA contracts. Two of those are on non-guaranteed with Jalen McDaniels and Cody Martin. And then we also picked up a one do recently. Uh, you have the battle between Carey Jr. and Nick Richards, who both make about 1.5 million. They are on guaranteed contracts, so if you were to waive either of those players, you're eating that money. My question to you is this: If they're going to get down to 15, which they have to do by the beginning of the season, who is that player that they are going to get rid of? It might make sense just to go the non-guaranteed route with either Cody Martin or Jalen McDaniels. But I'm almost thinking that whoever wins the battle between Kerry Jr. and Nick Richards, the other is gone. And I know that's kind of weird to say after we just spent last year drafting both of those guys in the second round. It felt like they were really wanting both of those guys and they couldn't really make a decision. Uh, But if you look at our big situation here with Plumlee and Washington and Kai Jones... Um, It just feels like you can't have five bigs on your roster um, and and get significant play time. So maybe that's the wrong way to think about it because you will have to eat that money. But any thoughts on who is the odd man out here?
4: Yeah, I think it's it's hard because it's like it. First off, think you have to ask yourself, Richie, you mentioned this like. Would they actually get rid of a non-guaranteed salary? Like, is is the you know is and you have to eat that money if you if you got rid of someone like, um, like like Nick Richards, you know I it's hard for me to I I think they would do that, but it's I don't know maybe they maybe they wouldn't do that they could they could pinch a few few pennies here just rounding out the roster with literally the fifteenth guy. Um, I'll say this, it is really hard for me to see a scenario where they where you can justify getting rid of McDaniels. Um, I just think he was good for them this past season. He is a defender and he takes really nothing away from you offensively. We talked about this on the last pod, but like he does a nice job playing that fifth role on offense where he still stand in the corner. He'll cut along the baseline. He'll be in the dunker spot. He can pass. He can attack a closeout. Um, He doesn't need the basketball, but he can do things to keep help defenders honest or punish them when they're not. And then defensively, he can be good at the point of attack. He's got length. We've seen him as in terms of his event creation, um, as a guy that can, that can be a help defender and be disruptive in passing lanes or at the rim. I just think if you're going for it, you got to have, you should have a guy like this. I, I just think he, I think he has the chance to be their to be like their best perimeter defender. Um at the same point in time, he's not like a he's not like a complete negative offensively where someone like Cody Martin might be. So um I don't know. If if I had to say like who's not making it, I would say Cody. Um but um but I, but I don't know. I just don't think you can get rid of – I don't think you can get rid of uh, McDaniel. So of, of this group, assuming you're keeping a one-do, you've got, what, two spots for Richards – you've got two spots for Richards, McDaniels, and uh, Cody Martin. I'm saying they should keep Vernon Carey. I am not even, I don't even think he should be on the chopping block for this. I actually think he can help this team as well this year. Um, I think he should be in the center rotation with, like, Plumlee and P.J., so um but yeah so I'll, so I'll say uh, unfortunately uh, Cody Martin is the last guy I cut would, would be my would be my thought cuz I just don't think you can do it with uh with uh with McDaniel's
0: Yeah
3: I'm I'm actually with you BG and it's it's um it's not an easy decision I I really wish they could hold on to all these guys I assume that a a one dude is going to stick around since they just acquired him. I guess Um. that, yeah, I guess, I don't know That,
4: that that was weird, but yeah, that, yeah, I guess, I guess he's, I guess he is likely to be a part, but it feels, it feels random. It really does.
3: It does, and honestly, there is some redundancy there with him and Cody Martin. Um, right, like, right. Uh, not carbon copies of each other by any means, but similar profiles. Well, the carbon so- copy would be Caleb Martin, by the way.
4: So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who, who we did wave, who we did. Yeah, wave. we're yeah. we're no longer fully Martinized. We're only <laughs> partially Martinized, and we may not be Martinized at all uh, in a matter of weeks here.
3: And 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 you guys know I've been a, I've been a Richard stand so I and I and I'm with you BG I, I don't want Vernon Carey Jr. to to get cut either and Richie you made a fair point like do we really need all these centers but at the same time like I still think both of those those guys might eventually be like rotation bigs even if it means you know maybe moving one of them at some point if you don't want to keep them both but I'd I'd like to keep them both on the roster so I'll reluctantly go with Cody Martin as well um, for, for very similar reasons that Brian just laid out.
2: I just have a weird feeling. It's going to either be Richards or Carey jr. I know that's a, I mean, you're going to eat the money. It's reasonable.
3: It's totally. Yeah. Reasonable. yeah.
4: I mean, if that's the case too, like then for me, it's, it's, it's Richards and you have to keep Carey, who you just, you just use the third. I mean, I know it's some cost and stuff, but like, and hell you, you, you burned a second round pick to get back into the draft to draft Nick Richards. All that's a sunk cost. Um, I'd I, I would rather have Carrie. I like him more as a prospect. He's younger too. Um, so there's there's that as well. But um but yeah, for me I would come between Richards and and, and Martin. Um and then I just look at which one has the guaranteed salary. So it's like who do I think they're more likely to um cut? Is it's the one that they yeah. don't have to then, then pay afterwards. So that that and that's I, I my thought guess- process.
3: I didn't reiterate, but I should have. Like, it can't be McDaniel's. McDaniel's no, needs just to stay on this yeah. roster.
4: Yeah, he, he can. He can absolutely help. I could even see a scenario where, like, yeah, I mean, he's absolutely in the rotation, and, and a guy that's like, you know, just in the, in the slog of a season, you're gonna you're gonna need him. And I just like what they can do defensively, being able to switch him around when they play those front courts with PJ and. The miles or at this point, you know, uh, the Oubre or whatever, just being able to switch around and switch guys out and all that sort of jazz. Like, yeah, I think McDaniels is really important for that.
2: All right. Last topic here. And we'll make this quick. James Rago officially announced today by the Hornets that he signed a multi-year extension. I think I know how, BG feels about JB. I think we've talked about Borrego a lot here on BuzzBeat. But, Lee, what are your thoughts on Borrego in general as a coach? and But also, what do you think about this move to extend him?
3: Yeah, I mean, I've been super vocally supportive of James Borrego. In my opinion, this was the only course of action um, I, I've, I've, you know, I know there's like this contingency of Hornets Twitter that does not like James Borrego and I, I enjoy trolling them from time to time. Um, and, and, and I've always kind of framed this conversation by saying like, look, we don't know what James Borrego is or will be as a playoff coach. And, yeah. and it's fair and it's fair to say we can wait and see how that looks when the time comes, hopefully sooner rather than later. But as a developmental coach, he's been fantastic. Um, I think he's been pretty darn good as an in-game coach as well. We've talked about kind of like his after timeout uh, play calling and stuff like that. Uh, BG's laid out like his kind of robust playbook for um, all the different like actions he's got to get the ball in successful places for this team and and look he's like he's overperformed expectations pretty much in every season like even if you look at the over under win totals in the preseason that Vegas puts out the Hornets have hit the over I think in the last three seasons every year that JB's been here so I've always been a huge proponent of JB I I think this was fantastically well done by Hornets brass and I, I hope he's here for a long time and I hope he can become kind of that you know, seasoned playoff coach as well, which we'll we'll see. Yeah, yeah, I'm, ha- I'm
4: happy for JP. It, it makes sense on a bunch of different levels. I really like his playbook. I like him as an offensive mind. I like him as an after timeout coach. Um, I like his staff, and um, you know, probably I don't know if this is most importantly, but this is somewhere at or near the top of the list. But uh, it does seem like he and Lamella Ball have a pretty good relationship too. And um, for the foreseeable future, as we have discussed, uh, they are they're molding this franchise around Lamelo as they as they should too. And uh, no, I don't think they go to Lamelo Ball and say at age nineteen, like, "Hey, should we do this?" You know, um, maybe they do. I, I don't think. I doubt at this point. I don't think he's to to that level yet. But but yeah, those guys seem to have a relationship. They've been sitting courtside together at summer league. Uh, For these first two games. So it makes a lot of sense. And yeah, we'll just see like now, now becomes the hard part because I, I don't, I don't think they're to the point where they have expectations yet. And there is some sort of simple beauty of getting to coach the fun team with all the cool offensive sets, you know, without expectations, so we'll just see, yeah. Because I don't think we're at that point yet. So for so for now, I think it's fine to let this keep keep marinating. And yeah, like you know, you, Lee, you're right. There there are. And by the way, like in this contingent of like Hornets Twitter that doesn't like James Rago, there are some really really smart basketball minds that like you know, I, like some of these people know a lot about the team and a lot about hoops. But, yeah, some of them are just adamant that, uh, that, that Borrego is, is not, not quite up to, uh, to, to snuff on a couple of different things, usually dealing with the rotations. But I like Borrego. And I just think he's important. I mean, like to an extent, like he broke a barrier down when he got hired for the job. Um, that's cool. But, yeah, so, no, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll get to see him coach postseason basketball at some point in Charlotte uh, sooner rather than later.
2: All right. I won't give my thoughts because I think if you guys have heard the podcast, you know how I feel about JB. But we wanted to thank everyone for joining. Uh, Sean, Patrick, Owen, Jeremy, Taylor, uh, everyone listening right now. A little disappointed that we did not get a speaker request. We're going to get it one day. We're going to get it one day. Even if it's just a question. Even if it's just a question. If you guys are listening for the first time, we would love for you guys to take out 30 seconds of your day and just give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That would mean a lot to us for BG For
1: Lee, I'm Richie. We'll see you guys next time. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time tested gift around a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one size fits all convenience and fast free shipping and returns, it's a stress free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement